So welcome everyone to this EPP group talk on EU treaty change. How could we change that Lisbon treaty? Uh, and uh, changing it in a way that's going to make the EU function better, even if we add more members, member countries. Uh, so at the moment we have the Lisbon Treaty, it's 16 years old. Many people say it's time for a bit of an overhaul to update it, uh, to make it more able to take action more decisively uh, on the challenges that we face today. Um, and how do we adapt, yes, to that larger EU that we expect in these uh, coming years when others uh, join. Uh, so joining me today is uh, Sven Simon. Welcome, Sven. Sven. Uh, German MEP, a member of several committees, uh, constitutional, economic, foreign affairs, international trade. Keeps you very busy, I guess. Mm, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. true. Um, you know, just to start is you, you have legal background. You went to law school mm. and you looked at the treaty back then. And, and, and what do you think about it? I mean, this is back around 2000, I guess, right? So um, obviously a work in progress needed to be updated even then. Yeah, it's true. That was when I started to deal with the treaties, first in academia and now in practice. Yeah. And um, I'm very convinced today that we face very different challenges. If you think about starting the crisis with a state debt crisis, the euro crisis, Brexit, migration, Russia's war against Ukraine. Yeah. And that is the reason why I come to the result together with colleagues, and I think this is the majority in the European Parliament, that we need to be more focused, more capable, capable to act and more democratically accountable. And that is the reason why we now propose a treaty amendment. We want to create a defense union. We want mm -hmm. to strengthen our energy cooperation to become more independent and to decarbonize our industry. We want to protect our borders better. We want to fight transnational crimes. We want to abolish vetoes and unnecessary bureaucracy. Yeah. And we want to strengthen the rule of law while um, maintaining traditions in member states. Yeah, and, and some had been arguing, well, maybe we can do a lot of this without a treaty change. And opening up that treaty is some, can be a Pandora's box, couldn't it? Um, but at, at the same time, though, uh, this, this is not coming out of nowhere. And it's not just among the politicians that we're talking about. There was a Future of Europe uh, conference where we sounded out Europeans across mm. Europe and they were mentioning the same kind of changes, weren't they? That is true. The result was that there's a, a need for a treaty change, but I would also like to be clear that the conference was one input factor out of many. Okay. We had party conventions, we had academia, which gave us input, input to this report. And I'd also like to say that I'm deeply convinced about the liberal democracy, but the liberal democracy functions best so far as representative parliamentary democracy, because mm -hmm. Members of parliament are accountable. You can vote for them or not vote for them. You yes. can hold them accountable after they took a decision. That is not true for the conference. And that is the reason why I say yes, it was one input factor of many, but only one. So let's talk about one key change that requires a treaty change is qualified majority voting, doesn't it? Um, how do you envision that? How does the EPP group envision that change to qualified majority voting on certain issues? Well, it is definitely the most sensitive issue yeah. and members and colleagues, including in the EPP, are, I don't know whether they are scared about it, but even the discussion raises concerns. We have today the pastoral clause, so that means we could already take decisions um, with majority, which are taken by uh, unanimously today. 
um, it's would strengthen the union in the same time I can sometimes understand member states that they fear that is more decided um, uh, with majority voting. Mm -hmm. So that is the reason why we have a, well, some kind of an horizontal approach in our report of the parliament. Okay. We say simply let's discuss and enhance the qualified majority voting, but we wouldn't say this and that. And there may be also issues where it's not recommendable to have, um, to abolish unanimous voting. Like? Mm, decisions on enlargement, okay. the treaty change itself, uh, military missions, um, and, and also foreign policy. We in the European Parliament always claim that in foreign policy we should abolish unanimous voting, in particular when we speak about the sanctions, but maybe that is extremely sensitive for member states and then we uh, must not overdo it. Okay, also. so then where should we apply? Where should we add certain issues? What issues should we add to qualify majority? I mean, prime example is foreign policy, is the sanction system. Sanctions. Um, uh, so not all foreign policy, just certain parts of it. Certain parts of it, yeah. yeah. Okay, all right. One can think about tax policy. Of course it is... Uh, tricky. Very, very tricky. tricky, very tricky. Because yeah. that and is the most one of those sensitive. jealously guarded domains of the national government, absolutely. right? Absolutely. And yet you think that would be a good thing to have? for qualified, for QMV. There's another question. Uh, it's not only about qualified majority voting. The question is also whether we should have policy fields where the European Parliament, we don't propose that in the in the report, okay. could, should have exclusive competencies. Like? Trade agreements. Trade agreements. Investment protection. Yeah. Mm. Which you deal with in to all those committees. Yes, yeah. to a certain extent, energy policy. This contradicts Macron and uh, Olaf Scholz's ideas. Yeah, absolutely. But, uh, they're they're, they're clashing interests. This is there. obvious. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, can you mention maybe one or two examples where, if we had qualified majority voting, we could have been much more decisive at a very important moment? Maybe on sanctions, for instance. Yeah, sanctions in the in the in supporting Ukraine. It was always too slow, too little. Um, when we speak about the COVID pandemic situation, yeah. procurement of vaccine was very difficult that the, that the Commission tried its best to negotiate, but finally it was the Member States who uh, signed the contracts. Um, what about on that note? What about all the, the border closings that were happening yeah. ad hoc? Yeah, but that was maybe illegal and the Commission could have gone to court. <laughs> uh -huh. uh, they didn't do. They decided yeah. not to do because it was a very special situation, but Even maybe. Um, and then we have many, many cases where it is not visible in the council, where the council is blocked in a way, yeah. but you don't see it. They don't move forward. And there's one other yeah. thing which I would like to mention. It is true that during the crisis, the Europeans were able to act, but always without parliamentary participation. It started with the Euro crisis, intergovernmental decisions, hmm. then they called it the union method, and also uh, Next Generation EU, mainly without parliament. And that I think is not acceptable in a parliamentary democracy. Okay, so, so we are that, able to act, yeah. but without parliamentary participation. And that is another problem. So this is an, uh, another thing that maybe should, could be changed in the treaties to give more power to the parliament, do you think? In particular, when changing and amending uh, regulations and directives. I'm not so much talking about new directives. We have enough <laughs> law uh, in Europe. Yeah. So the right of initiative, yes, but mainly in particular 
of amending and uh, regulations and directives. If you see, if I as a member, we as members of the parliament go to our constituency and we find out a regula regulation should be changed or amended, which is very often the case, yeah. the only thing we can do is write a letter to the commission and hope that they answer. Sometimes they do, sometimes not. That they and they, make a proposal. they can come up with a proposal yeah. only. Right. It's not us, sir. That yeah. is a problem. Yeah, or the or the the council, the the, the national government leaders can ask. We have this for initiative reports, which yeah. is going in this direction, but it's not the right of initiative. Right. Okay. Um, and so on foreign policy, on trade, what about on health? Yes. Cross-border, cross-border health threats, defense, enable joint procurement from the budget. Um, we could also think about letting pa pa the participation of regional or national parliaments. Uh -huh. So I think it's not so narrow, this debate, or I, I, I also don't think that abolishing unanimous voting in the council would solve all our problems. Yeah. But it is part of the problem. Well, and, and then some might, might argue uh, that uh, this is a federalist move of grabbing power from the national <laughs> governments. What do you think? It is absolutely not, and I think it is absolutely not about old ideas, federalism versus Europe of nations. Yeah. Um, this ideological discussions about buzzwords, we should really leave aside that does lead in, in, in nowhere. So yeah. we, we should not. It's, it's not. It's not. Okay. But, but I think what's uh, behind this, or one important thing behind this is, is that we're, we expect to expand. We will have, probably in the coming years, more member countries. We're looking at the Western Balkans. We're looking at maybe even Ukraine. We're looking at Moldova. And to make this whole thing work, um, it, it does need to be a more uh, decisive, more nimble uh, kind of a, a system. Um, so that's what's really behind this qualified majority thing, right? Yeah, to a and certain extent, that is that is part of the of the problem we face. Now, but but then some might say, well, we need a multi-speed Europe. What about that, uh, that 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 paper that, that, that yeah. I saw? Hold that thing up. Let's let's. Uh, <laughs> so this is the yeah. sailing Hold on high the seas reforming. There. Yeah. there we go. Reforming. That is a proposal yeah. of a so-called expert group. Yeah. Um, from the French and uh, French German and government. Yeah. Academics, politicians. Yeah. They made also proposals. It is in a way generally supporting our report or the result of our report that there is a need of a treaty change and opening up a convention to discuss. That, yes, but what about the multi-speed thing? The multi-speed thing, well, um, they, they talk about a multi-speed Europe with four different speeds. They want to have an inner circle, mm -hmm. which is going even further uh, beyond the European Union. The second would then be the European Union. Third, associated members including maybe they mentioned in the United Kingdom, mm. and uh, then the European partner countries. I would answer, we have that already. Ah. If you think about the euro, there are some member states of the European Union well, which have true. the euro, others don't. Right. We, if you uh, think about the Schengen Treaty, which means that we can move or cross borders without showing our passport, there's no border control. Yeah. We have it. Some members are member states of the Schengen Agreement, like Switzerland, but yep. not members of the Customs Union. That's so true. we have it already. I mean, we were always thinking about keeping it together. We were very um, convinced that the four freedoms, for example, free movement of goods, services, right to establish and uh, capital, um, uh, should uh, kept together. Mm -hmm. But honestly, I sometimes thought by myself, 
if one of the reasons for Brexit was the free movement of workers, which they didn't like because they made a mistake in 2004, when we had the newcomers and then many Eastern Euro Europeans went to the to the island to work. Yeah. Uh, but they didn't, I mean, the, the British people said they were not integrated. So if that was the problem, okay, then we should think about a multi-speed Europe to keep us together. But that was multi-speed for a while too, because I think the Romanians and the Bulgarians were not allowed yeah, to, yeah, yeah. Uh, to So we have it already, it's not a new idea. It, 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 it you, is, you sort of um, adapt ad hoc and then but you keep the principle of we're all on board, yeah, yeah, yeah. we're 27, yeah. we're all equal. I think I mean, probably when, that's when, important when we speak about um, well used, but then we have to be more precise. Yeah. They speak very, this, re, this uh, report speaks very often about well use and the rule of law, but I think it's very important that we define what it is exactly about. Yeah, yeah, well that, and that's another very important aspect about linking. Here's another aspect of that report is linking EU payouts more strictly to the rule of law. We're already doing that with Article 7. What, how much more strict should it be? Yeah, Article 7 is not convincing, and that I would also criticize this in the report of this expert group from the French and German government. Yeah. We do a totally different proposal in our report of the okay. European Parliament, right. which is more convincing. We say it should be easy with a simple majority in Commission, Parliament or Council to bring a case, but then immediately go to court. The European Court of Justice shall decide uh -huh. whether the rule of law is really at, under general attack in a member state, and it should not be a political blame game in the European Parliament like it is today, not with a simple majority and not with a four-fifths majority what they propose. It shouldn't mm. be a political decision. That divides us more. We must bring us together. And there are, are good examples. For example, the European Court of Justice was extremely successful in uh, taking decisions against the Polish um, a disciplinary chamber against judges, and when they retired judges to get rid of them, yep. they had to come back and they came back in the end. So okay. we have smaller success the stories, but it is true that the rule of law is under attack and that we must improve the mechanism how to enforce it. But okay. that cannot be with a political uh, decision, I'm okay. sure. Okay. Uh, one other thing that I saw in there is uh, they, they propose a bigger EU budget. I mean, you know, a lot of people uh, on an EU level complain that uh, there's not enough funding out there. That's one or two percent of, of the GDP when national governments use a, half of their GDP yeah. to finance what they're doing. What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, of, of course, the European Union to be uh, capable to act would need a bigger budget. Now we have the next generation EU with 800 billion euros. That means generally doubling the budget of the EU mm -hmm. uh, without parliamentary participation. Yes, of course, you can always ask for a bigger budget. But if when we think about uh, common procurement in the defense industry, which I think is really important, then, of course, you would need a bigger budget. That's clear. Yeah, I and, would agree. and 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 raise EU raising its own money through own resources. That is right? another that's, topic, another that's question. Another yeah. topic, that's another can <laughs> of worms. I think we've covered uh, a lot. Is there anything else you want to raise about um, how we should retool the Lisbon Treaty? We should start the discussion, and I experienced the discussion in the Constitutional Affairs Committee as a very enriching and inspiring process. Even our colleague from ECR. Uh, said that it was enriching, uh, right. alone discussing different views, different cultures, and the debate is enriching already. Yeah. United in diversity, that is what we should live, and then we come closer together, uh, together as Europeans, and we can be more capable to act in this new geopolitical situation 
where uh, liberal democracy, the rule of law, individually enforceable rights against its own state in front of a court is not the norm in the world, but the exception. And that is the reason why I think we should make the European Union fit for mm. our time. So you, you are confident or you think, you see a consensus developing among the different party groups? In, in the, the European Parliament. Parliament, yes. We already took the decision in July or June last year, yeah, 2022. Decided, yeah. That was uh, in form of a resolution, so the Council could say that is not a proper uh, uh, initiating Article 48 procedure. They cannot use this excuse now. Right. I think in the European Parliament there is a broad majority to at least start a convention and start the discussion. That doesn't mean that we are not at the beginning. We are the very beginning of the process. And yeah. it will take 10 years, 12 years, 20 years, I don't know. But well, I think there is the need and where uh, people and colleagues and politicians are convinced that there is an added value by working closer together as Europeans, mm -hmm. they usually find then sooner or later a moment where they say, even from Hungary, I don't hear an absolute veto for starting a convention. So I think there is a chance uh, to at least start a process which will lead um, to the better. Okay, so, but it's, it's going to take a while. It's, uh, Absolutely. <laughs> The, uh, it, it, as the French might say, it's pas pour demain. It's not for tomorrow. No. Not even, certainly not before the next European elections. No, certainly not. But it, it, of course, we have to start talking about it now. Absolutely. Right? Great. I think that's good, Sven. Thank you very much. Thank Thanks you. to Sven. Thanks to all of you for watching and listening uh, to the CPP Group Talk on uh, changing the EU treaty. Uh, keep in mind, uh, at eppgroup.eu, uh, for any social networking and uh, for more information. Uh, my name is Chris Burns. See you next time.